If this is your first time here, again, I just want to say my name is Tucker, and I am super thankful and glad you guys are here. But we have been going through the book of Colossians, and if you remember uh, Zach last week, he talked over Colossians 2, just to backtrack, Colossians 2, and he's talking about this is what the cross has done. Excuse me. Jesus has taken our sin to the cross so we could be the righteousness of God. Remember, we used that illustration that, man, Jesus took our sin. He became our sin, and it was literally nailed to the cross. And then going all the way back to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 is all about the supremeness of Christ. That Jesus is both Savior and that Jesus is King. And today we're going to be diving into chapter 3 of Colossians. So if you want to flip over to Colossians chapter 3, get on your phones, all that good stuff, that would be where we'd be hanging out. But I want to ask this question. How many of y'all are dog people? Like raise your hand. Who, who has a dog in here? So, a vast majority of us. Good. I love it. You guys are my people. I love dogs. I'm not much of a cat person. I have a dog. In fact, I love my dog so much, he has an Instagram. Yes, check it out. He has an Instagram. It is beautiful, and it's the cutest little thing you'll ever see. Um, so, my dog's name is Rome. And how many, how many of you dog people have inside dogs? Your dog's inside. A good majority of us. Good. That's the proper way to take a dog because dogs love to be held, right? You don't let dogs go sit outside. That's just awful. Um, but my dog, he loves, we love to walk him around on the green belt. He loves to go to my mother-in-law's and play with her puppy. It's a, it's a black lab, and it, oh, he is adorable. Dog, I can get on a tangent of how cute puppies are, right? Um, but every so often, we actually have it on our calendars. Every two weeks, we have to give our dog a bath. Because our dog gets filthy, because he's a dog, right? He loves to sniff around, he loves to get in the leaves, he loves to roll around in the grass because he's a dog, right? And how many of y'all have ever pet a dog and you're like, oh, this dog is gross? I'm like, oh. How many of y'all pet your own dog and it's like, oh, this dog is gross? Yeah, me too. And there's comes a, there comes a point where, and it, it's awful to give your dog a bath, right? How many of y'all actually bathe your dog? Yo, not as many hands, because guess what? It's awful, it's no fun, it's miserable. And my dog, he's kind of in the middle. He, likes ba- like, he doesn't like baths, but he hates them at the same time. So like, we tell him, hey, jump at the, jump at the tub. I tried it. What? Yeah, exactly. That's what I meant. He doesn't like them, or he does like them. No. He's in the middle. He's okay with them. He's okay. I, it's been a long day. I'm super tired. But I bathe him. And we actually, this is more my wife wants me to do this, so she kind of tells me to do this, so I do this. But we like actually blow dry our dog, and he loves it. He loves it. Like his nose goes to the air, he like smiles. And so, oh yeah, y'all can say, oh, because it's adorable. I'm a good husband, whatever. Um, But there is a noticeable difference when my dog is bathed and when he's filthy, right? Like when he's filthy, he's like grimy, he's kind of, like, he's kind of, he's just gross, right? He's just kind of gross. But when he's clean, he's fluffy, he smells good, you want to snuggle with him, he loves to snuggle with you after he gets a bath, but there is a noticeable difference when he was clean and even before when he was not clean. And this is kind of a similar uh, point that Paul is trying to stress in Colossians chapter 3. And just, again, chapter 1 talked all about that Jesus is supreme, that Jesus is just as much as he is Savior, is King. He's over everything. 
He's over creation. He holds creation together. And then chapter 2 gets into kind of the personal implications like, oh, if Jesus is Savior, Jesus is King, what does this mean for me now? What's the result in my life because of that truth? How does that truth set me free? How does, it, how does my life differ? How's my life changed when I understand that Jesus became my sin so I could be the righteousness of God? Now, chapter 3 gets into kind of a personal application of the gospel. Like, okay, so you understand this is who Jesus is. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2, this is why it matters to you. This is, why, this is what Scripture is meaning for you. And then chapter 3 is, what's the next steps now? How are you going to live that out? What are the next steps that you're going to take? And I would say that chapter 3 is kind of split up into, th- into four parts. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. And those 17 verses are uh, broken up into four parts. And I think the first part is more of a gospel reminder to the church of Colossae that Paul is writing. And I'll get into more detail about these. And then the second chunk of Scripture is this is what gospel change looks like lived out personally. Self-reflective, self-examination. And then the third uh, block of Scripture is this is what gospel change looks like lived out relationally, interacting with other people, talking with other people, relationships. And then the last part is gospel change leads to worship. So picking up in verse 1, this is what uh, Scripture says. It says, verse 1, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of this earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. And again, it's that gospel reminder that Paul is giving to the audience he's writing to and he's given to us. It's like, dude, Jesus has been raised with new, into new life by his resurrection. He's conquered death. He's conquered hell. And because of that, you, for those of us in Christ, have been raised to new life as well. Once we have heard, understood, and believed the gospel, our focus now changes, that Paul says. What we set our sights on change. See, when gospel change happens to our life, and what I mean by gospel change is what Jesus is doing in your life. How Jesus is bringing you from death to life and walking out into this new life, into this new nature, into this new relationship with him. That's what I mean when I say gospel change. See, gospel change, our our sights are now set on the realities of heaven and not on the realities of of the king of Carrollton Junior High, of our family, not on our success, not on who wins an election in a couple days. Our reality is in heaven. And because of this, we're now eternally minded. And what that means is we operate from a relationship with Jesus and not with a relationship of this world. When we are eternally minded, We are focused on what glorifies, what pleases the Father. That's what it means to be eternally minded. And Paul, dude, he's saying, dude, that's the reminder. 
That's the gospel reminder, right? He lays out the gospel a little bit, and then he gets into the really personal application of this in these next few verses. And this is a big, uh, this, we're going to be really in verses 5 through 11, but I'm going to break this down even a little further. So verse 5 says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. That makes you feel good about yourself, right? Put to death the sinful earthly things. Some uh, translations that you're reading say evil desires lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. This list that Mandy has just got done reading. Don't be greedy for a greedy person is an idolater. Worshiping the things of this world. Because of these, th- these sins, the anger of God is coming. See, Paul lays out what it means for us to individually now live as if our focus is on heaven. And he kind of does this comparison, right? He starts with this old self. When we talk about old self in church, we're talking about our sin nature, our old self that was crucified. He talks about, hey, put to death the sin the sinful earthly things looking in you. He, 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 he writes off this list, but dude, it's not an exhaustive list. He kind of covers it with, hey, put to death the sin in your life. The sin that's in your family. The sin that nobody knows about because you haven't told anybody. The sin that people see. Put to death that sin. These are, and then he gets into the specifics of, hey, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy. Don't be an idolater. Don't worship the things of this world. These are the things we need to nail to the cross. That Jesus has already nailed to the cross. There's this fancy church word um, that I want to kind of explain a little bit. Um, But before that, I want to ask another question. How many of y'all like to garden? Lincoln talked about gardens in our leader huddle, so not a lot of us. Who's really bad at taking care of plants? How many of y'all know what a succulent is? It's a super easy plant to take care of, right? It's basically a cactus in America. But there's cactus in America. I've been to Arizona, I promise. Um, What a succulent is, it's basically a plant that doesn't need to be watered but every two weeks. So about as much as my dog gets a bath. That's funny. Um, I killed a succulent. In a month. You do the math. That's not a long time. How do you kill a plant? You don't water it. You don't, you don't give it sunlight. And, and uh, just to sum it up, you neglect it. You neglect the plant and it dies. When we look at what Paul is saying, he's like, put to death these sinful things. When we think of putting to death, that seems like a pretty radical thing, Right? But Paul is trying to teach us and teach the audience he's writing to this word called repentance. This word called repentance. And if you actually look at the Greek word of repentance, it means to turn away, to neglect, and to have a change of mind. So I'm actually going to need two volunteers. I did this with CCF and it was funny to describe. I need, a, I need mature volunteers, so you guys put your hands down. I'm just kidding. Um, let me see. I need, let me get two guys. Oh, Jesse. And then Landon? Yeah, we'll get Landon. Jesse and Landon, come up to the stage. Look at that perm flowing. Oh, my goodness. All right. Jesse, you're going to get up and be on this part of the stage. Landon, you're going to be on this part of the stage. 
So, Jesse, pick a number, one or two. Two, cool. You're God, you're Satan, okay? <laughs> so, Jesse, he's not God, but let's just say he has the label of God over him, right? And then, back up, social distance, please. Um, Landon is sin. So when Paul says, put to death this sin nature, this thing that has been ravaging, what actually sin does is sin binds you up in chains, and sin actually has a grasp on you. Obviously, we're not going to touch because that's not safe. Social distance, right? Um, and it's weird. But sin has a grasp on us. But when we understand the message of Colossians 1 and 2, we understand that Jesus has broken those chains, and we have the opportunity to actually turn away from our sin, to repent. See, and repent is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But I was teaching this to uh, uh, college ministries just a couple weeks ago. Repent is a beautiful thing, but repent is just to turn away. It doesn't mean move closer. It means, hey, I'm changing my mind. Repentance is that verb tense of the word where you're actually moving away, you're neglecting, you're changing your mind. And the same way you want to kill the sin in your life is the same way you kill a plant. You neglect it. You don't feed it. You don't give it any power. You don't give it any attention because what happens when we give the attention, we start to turn away. We start to repent away from God. But for us to say, no, I am done with this. I'm putting myself to death. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm going to neglect. I'm going to not give the sin any nourishment. I'm not going to give the sin any power, and I'm going to run full-fledged into the presence of the Father. That's repentance. You guys give Jesse and Landon an awesome hand. And can I tell you, Repentance, I feel bad for Landon because he's like sin and everybody's going to be like, hey, you're Satan from now on. Um, can I tell you, repentance is a freaking hard process, dude. It's hard. The sin I struggled in high school, the one I had to repent to, repent from, was not an overnight success. This was something that actually started in around my freshman and sophomore year of high school and carried into my freshman, sophomore, junior year of college. So you do the math. Four plus years of my life. This sin, pornography, dude, it was hard to repent from that. It is hard to repent from that. And some of you are like, Tucker, I get it. You can talk about repentance all you want. That's awesome. But at the end of the day, it's freaking hard, isn't it? And it's kind of isolating, right, to say all you need to do is repent. I would actually say that's not all you need to do. I would say you need to ask for accountability in your life. Find two to three guys you trust. Find a mentor. Find an awesome life group leader that's sitting in a circle with you right now, giving up their Wednesday night to do this with you, to walk out our faith journey together. Ask them to lead you. Ask them to hold you accountable. Ask them to pray for you. Confess to them. Confess. Confession is where healing starts in this repentance process. And then we get into verse 7. It says, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. 
you used to do these things. So when it says you used to do these things, it means that's no longer us, right? Instead, we're this new creation. You used to do these things, but now you're actually in a relationship with Jesus. And we don't do these things anymore. Not because we're perfect, not because we have it all figured out, but because we're neglecting our sin, right? And this process of repentance, drawing closer to the Father, actually leads into another fancy church word I want to uh, say, sanctification. Sanctification is this. It is the process of being made more and more holy. Simple terms, it's the process of being made more and more like Jesus. And dude, this is something I'm walking through right now. This is something I walk through with my uh, struggle with pornography. But currently, if I could be real with you, dude, this is, a struggle, this is something I'm walking through with this sin I have of acceptance, of insecurity. I keep thinking I'm not, I'm worthless, I'm not good enough, I'm devalued, nobody, like, I'm not worthy of love. These are actual messages, these are thoughts I have in my head. These are insecurities I struggle with. And dude, you know how hard it is for me to come up on the stage and to share Jesus with people? And to act like I have it all figured out? Dude, because I don't. Dude, I struggle with this. But what sanctification is looking like in my life is, one, I'm not feeding those thoughts. I'm repenting. I'm walking through repentance, right? I'm not feeding those thoughts. And now, what sanctification being drawn closer and made more into the image of God, made more and more holy, which holy is a fancy church word, again, fancy church word, of, being, of basically saying being set apart. What this is looking like in my life is the message that Jesus has accepted me. That Jesus has forgiven me. That Jesus loves me. That Jesus actually likes me. Dude, some of you guys need to hear that. Jesus not only loves you, dude, he likes you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to know you. And dude, I was reading uh, with my D group uh, the other day. Uh, one of the most difficult passages for me is Romans 9. There's a lot of theology wrapped up in this, but Romans 9 basically says God chooses who he wants to because God is God. God chooses some of us to be children of his, and God chooses some of us to harden our hearts. And I'm thinking through this, I'm like, dude, I want God to be as accepting as I am. I want God to accept everyone. But dude, reading this passage should smash my idol, my sin of insecurity because God chose me. Dude, that just has helped me walk through this sanctification process. So what does it look like to continue to be sanctified? Verses 8 through 11 say this, but now is the time to get rid of anger. You're not an angry person. You're not a rageful person. You're not malicious. You, uh, you don't slander. You don't talk about people. If you talk, like, don't. One of the most destructive things you can do is to slander, to talk about people, to talk crap about people, to gossip people. And I know that's the kind of the cool thing to do in junior high. That gets you the approval, right? But that's not of Christ. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wickedness. Put on your new nature. 
and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. Christ is all that matters. And again, it's this message, because of Jesus, we have this new nature, this new life. And because of this, we must clothe ourselves in the presence of Jesus. Because Jesus, again, is all that matters. And then we go into verse 12. Since God chose you, again, this theme that Paul's writing, God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy. And again, this is the third part. This is what it looks like to interact with people because of gospel change. You're tenderhearted. You're merciful. You're kind to people. You're humble. You're gentle and patient. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Because the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all else, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. If you're in kind of a dysfunctional group, doesn't matter if it's life group, family, a friend group, and there's no peace, there's no harmony, I would say because we're not clothing ourselves in love. In verse 15, let peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For members as one body, again, Christian in the room, we are one body, we are one people chasing after the same goal, and that is Jesus. And if we're stopping people from doing that because of the way we talk to each other, the way we text each other, the way we post about people, that's not of Christ. And then verses 16 and 17, that's where we'll land. It says, let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to the God with thankful heart. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is worship right here. Worship is not just music. Worship is... This is what worship is. Worship is valuing and treasuring God above all things. Worship is valuing and treasuring God above all things. And Romans 12, 1 says, give yourself as a holy and living sacrifice. That's truly the way to worship him. Christian, we are in a life of worship. We rest in the, me- this, is ways we can, this is ways that Paul says right here, this is how we worship. We worship by resting in the message of the gospel because that is the greatest message and nothing else matters. We worship when we share the message of Jesus with others. We worship when we sing. And every aspect of our life is operating from a place of valuing and treasuring God above everything else. That is worship. So I want to leave you guys with four questions which you're actually going to be talking about in your life group. And you can think about this as we sing these next two songs. These four questions I want you to think on during your life group time, during worshiping through music is this. And dude, these are questions that come straight from Colossians 3. Number one, where is my focus? Is my focus on the realities of heaven or is it on myself? 
my friends, or this world. Number two, where in my life do I need to walk through repentance and sanctification? What do I need to turn from? What do I need to neglect? How do I need to be made more and more into the image of God? And then number three, talking about this relational aspect of gospel chains, our friendships, our families, our brothers, our sisters, our parents. I want you to ask yourself, am I loving people like Jesus did? Am I loving people like Jesus did? And last one, do I truly worship God? Do I truly value Him and treasure Him above everything else? God, we come to you in prayer tonight just to acknowledge, God, how desperately we need you. And God, I pray just these, that, we, that we live a life of just worshiping you, God, through prayer, through the devotion to your word, through music, God. And God, I pray that, that we as a Jesus family, that we set our sights on you, God, that you are our reality, because you are. And nothing else matters because of what you have done, Jesus. Jesus, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.